Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis is running solo and speaks with Bruce Linton, founder and former chairman and CEO of Canopy Growth Corporation. Bruce is one of the more well-known figures in our industry and has a passion for entrepreneurship and making a positive difference in the world. He brings a wealth of experience in building strong technology-driven companies and in developing world-class teams. This is one you do not want to miss. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now into our conversation with Lewis Goldberg and Bruce Linton. Today, I had the distinct and unique opportunity to sit down with Bruce Linton, board member of Gage Cannabis, Vireo Health, another cannabis company, and MindMed, the first psychedelic company to list on a stock exchange. Bruce is a truly unique individual in all of the best ways. Um, as you well know, he was the face of global cannabis for years as the former CEO of Canopy Growth. He struck the biggest deal in the history of cannabis when he orchestrated a $4 billion investment into Canopy by New York Stock Exchange-listed liquor company Constellation Brands. And then he turned right around and struck a deal with Acreage Holdings, giving Canopy the ability to project into the United States and potentially positioning Constellation Brands as the largest player in cannabis in the world. Now, as a board member of two of the more interesting cannabis companies and a psychedelics company, Bruce is in a unique position, the catbird seat, to continue to help shape cannabis and to take the lessons he learned in the green rush and apply them to the psychedelic space, hopefully to help that industry avoid the mistakes that cannabis companies have made. Love them or not. Bruce matters and is crazy smart and is an amazing interview. This is truly one of the most interesting conversations we've had on The Green Rush, and I hope you get out of it as much as I did. I'm excited. Bruce Linton is here with me. And um, he's surprised because I thought I was pretty much going to your house because I didn't actually fully comprehend what you did. Very impressive. Oh, thank you. Uh, serious office. Professional people. I hope so. Fully explains why I couldn't just randomly alter your schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was just I just had lunch with the uh, with my client from Acreage Holdings, so it's like yeah. I literally you know, um, and I appreciate you coming in. Well, and, and Acreage, so would Glenn be your client or is it? It's Howard Schachter. Oh, Howard, yes, yeah. of course it's Howard and, and Kevin. Yeah, you know, I those are my. How much time did I spend with Howard and Kevin? A lot. Well, and you spent time in your underwear with Kevin in in Davos. In Davos, we had to share. Well, thankfully the houses were separated. We actually that was a very good way to get to know someone. Not the underwear part, but um, <laughs> having a what we called the marijuana ghetto. Yeah. And uh, two houses that weren't in Davos. Like when we went to Davos, we didn't go to Davos. We were in the adjacent town. And then we were down a snowy road. And then we were in these two houses which uh, had bunk beds and stuff. It was like it was kind of like a it was kind of like a disorganized trip in college that ended up with no one getting hurt. With no one getting hurt. It's like Euro <laughs> trip without, without the hard drugs. It's was, just the, the cannabis. There was a near injury uh, with a bowling ball, but that, that was an entirely different thing. Did you go to Davos this year? I did not. Um, two reasons I didn't go. Uh, one is I didn't actually get to be on stage, which I had worked for a year mm -hmm. to try and get both through Barclays Bank and a couple of others 
to create a place on the actual WEF stage that talked about the progressive policy opportunities of governing cannabis versus ignoring it. And I worked really hard at trying to get on stage. I mean, I pulled every string I could. I believe it. And they they said no. And the reason I thought they should say yes is um, I don't know right now what would be a better economic development tool in a lot of these places. And I don't know uh, why they would let the tax opportunity continue to go to the illicit market, but they don't want to talk about it. Well, and you look what's happening in Colombia, right? I mean, it's, it is the fastest growing employer in the, the country of Colombia. Well, I can tell you is the World Economic Forum would prefer not to talk about it, at least this last year. I bet you they will. Well, for a couple of reasons. I mean, clearly the, the downturn in the, the equities markets has taken companies that were worth billions uh, especially for U.S. companies, down into the hundreds of millions. Um, and it's still a Schedule One drug. You know? Yeah. My thing is, though, if next year they allow a panel with five people to have an unentertaining, uninteresting narrative bobbled around, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was either get on stage and clearly express the public policy implications of governing cannabis versus ignoring it. And when you govern it, you regulate it, you educate, and you monetize. And, and, and to me, that sounds like what they're supposed to be doing versus ignoring it. Which they have done for the last 50 years. Oh, ignoring it. You know, I, um, the number of times I've used the line when someone who would be sort of over 70 and they'd be upset about the fact that apparently I invented cannabis or something, um, <laughs> but that they'd be upset. What I would uh, explain to them that um, we should dig into their concern and, and their frustration with this because the only reason they should be so upset is because they must have a son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter who are actively in the illegal business of selling cannabis. And they must be upset because they're gonna lose maybe like really good gifts at their birthday because that person's not gonna have as much money because the only person who loses in a regulated environment is a criminal and they're upset right. must be because they have a family of criminals. And for the most part, they thought I was out of my mind, but it continued the conversation in a different direction. We're in the middle of the worst cash crunch that this industry, since it's started to become regulated, has seen. Um, you, luckily, got to ride the wave up, um, and now you're you're both an insider, you're still an insider in the mm -hmm. industry. When do you think this pivots? When do we get to see the the, the, the equity start to appreciate again, that the spigot opens up from, from an investment perspective? I, I, I don't think it will. Like even today I was watching, and you know, it's interesting because I use a Yahoo Finance app, and I have a, quite a number of stocks in there, some of which I own, some of which I don't. But there was a bunch of red and a bunch of green at different times in the day. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're gonna start to see is there's a bunch of reds, and a bunch of greens, and there's gonna be sequential days of the green one's more green and the red one's more red. And if you get red long enough, you eventually have to pay people to own your stock um, because you're down. And so I think what you're gonna see is that the good ones that show agility, they create um, differentiated goods, are gonna to continue to go have a chance. And so like, I pick ones like, um, uh, I'm involved with Vero. Um, there's a lot of people who like that stock now who would like to put money to the company. Believe it or not, even in this environment. Mm -hmm. uh, Gage Cannabis in Michigan. Well, why would that one? Well, because it's in Michigan, it's ripping too. Like if you went to their stores after December 1st, both medical and rack and the way that they're cleaning up the state's uh, supply chain, uh, mm -hmm. including making it so you have to be a really regulated player, no longer caregiver, that is turning into a terrific business. It's, it's kind of like Florida three years ago, four hmm. years ago. So you're saying that Gage is, is like the true leave of three years ago. Yeah. I, I think um, if you look at the populations, the opportunity, and the regulation environment, Michigan's as good or better. And it's a high-consumption state that's actually become a high-regulated state. So um, I don't think everybody's going to get money anymore, nor they should. 
I, I was disappointed often when Canopy would get cash for uh, having done something that everybody else would benefit. And so even uh, I had one person who um, was short a bunch of stocks, the whole sector, who called me and congratulated me and subsequently sent a bottle of champagne, even though they lost a ton of money because they said, um, with the second deal, we basically, uh, in that structure- The $4 billion deal? Yeah, it yeah. sort of saved the sector, but you can't save it forever. Because remember, everybody was trading down then. Yeah, yeah. And, and it transformed the perspective, but it didn't mean that the companies merited that. So now that you're, I mean, you've been out of Canopy now for months, yeah. um, you look back on the acreage deal, uh, would you retrade that, or are you still happy with that deal? Yeah, these guys that retrade things, it's hilarious, because it's not actually about the price per share in any of the transactions that have gone between uh, uh, announcement and HSR and closing. Mm -hmm. Because what you've done is you've set an exchange ratio, which sets the proportion that you own. What percentage of the company will you own when it closes? Mm -hmm. So how can the fact that the share price of the owner company went down make it you should own less of it? That's the logic doesn't hold for me. What it means is that many people have an opportunity to get a better deal, so they do it. And and the deal for acreage now, at the time, people were saying they sold they sold themselves short, and now they you know Kevin's looking like a genius. Well, they've got seventeen percent. I think the number still, if I got it right, is about seventeen percent of canopy mm -hmm. is acreage when it becomes federally permissible for that trigger to be pulled. And if you think about what canopy continues to invent and create and advance and the footprint and skills that are being developed on an ongoing basis in acreage, when it becomes federally permissible, there should be little doubt of which company has will have the most differentiated goods and the best footprint. Constellation. Right. But, the, but that's <laughs> yes. the, the point of the exercise is to create layers of winning and defensibility. And so um, I don't really like retrades. I, even um, if I had to deal with you and your company, say to buy you and we establish a share count or an exchange, mm -hmm. exchange ratio. If in the intervening time, we at Canopy did something brilliant and it doubled how much you actually got paid for your company, I would not renegotiate you. And the logic is that what if I did something dumb or you did something smart and you came to me and said, I want, twi I want twice as much now. Right. How would I feel about that? Kills and, the deal. and what if I, what if we'd had a bad couple of weeks and my stock was down and you said, I need more? Kills the deal. Yep. So we didn't have a practice of retrading based on events that, now if you did something terrible in your business and that came out post due diligence, we'd have another discussion. But I don't think the retrading percentage ownerships mm -hmm. because relative values change, that's like it's apples and oranges. When you look at what's going on in the industry now, even though you're still involved with a couple of different cannabis companies, I mean, you're not, you're not at Canopy now and you're, you're at smaller players, but they're still important players. Are you looking at the MSOs and saying, these are guys that I really believe in three years are going to be here? Or are you hmm. worried about the, the structure of the industry as it is and that it's going to fundamentally change? Well, I think... Um, and worried isn't the right word. I but. think the structure of an MSO makes sense. Maybe they stretch themselves too thin and you start to see them instead of trying to be everywhere, they're going to have six or seven or eight really strong states and depths. Um, but it positions them well uh, if and when something enables scale. Because right now the problem is you can't scale across uh, state lines. And I'm not saying, saying you move product around, but um, when you think about scaling, it could also include things like uh, how you do your taxes, how you do your compliance, mm -hmm. how you do, like, you know, everything is different in every state. Yeah, because each and, state is its own country. So I think um, 
if in the 2020 election something becomes clear that there's an intent, and I think there will be, right? Like, um, if they want to beat Bernie, they've got to beat Bernie's position on cannabis. That mm-hmm. gets you the Democratic position. And um, state rights make a lot of sense in a Republican world. So I, I just think um, the big driver on the market that's going to make it rip is going to be the discussion of what will happen if they win, each party. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have secondary events, which will be, um, I suspect, I know uh, in Canada, we sometimes have a summer. And in the summertime, people sometimes drink cold beverages. <laughs> and um, I think what you're going to find is that the summer of 2020 is the summer of cannabis beverages. Really? Because yeah. that's... But I think because they'll have to work their wrinkles out. Okay. And they're 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 ready now. I think they're they're going to well, come out. Well, Canopy had announced that the, you guys were pulling or well, they were they, pulling back a little. They bit were, from but the I think they were just being sure. They were sure. They were sure. So I think they're getting buttoned down. And so um, events that will drive the stock will be when you start to see a lot of marketing images of people doing summer-like activities, consuming these products, right? And then talking and posting and discussing the fact they're great. And if you see the person in a picture at the beginning of the summer, they look terrific. They're not a little bit fatter. They drink these all summer, and they're still not fatter because there's no calories. Hmm. And so I think there's going to be this ongoing dialogue um, that will drive it. And I think Europe, you know, um, right now we want to talk principally about Italy and uh, Corona and how so many Chinese people go to Iran and back and forth, wonder what they could be working on. But um, <laughs> we, um, we will have a discussion in at least one of the primary countries about regulating adult access to cannabis. So you think it's going to be Italy or Germany? Germany. 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 I think Germany, uh, in the context of the Merkel transition out, is going to have uh, coalitions not going to be the same. It's done it twice, didn't work the last time. You're an astute observer of politics. What do you think is going to happen here? And I don't care if you think about who's going to win the election, but what do you think is going to specifically happen with cannabis? Um, because there'll be between six and eight states that have ballot initiatives yeah. to go either add medical or, or go to use. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, I think in the states that have said what they're doing, it still polls better than doing nothing. Yes. And so all you have to do is agree that the states in which it polls better. So your job as an politician is to get elected or reelected by agreeing that people who've done something and they've done the right thing, you don't alienate them. And so on the logic of winning as a politician, you are going to align with the decisions of states. And so I don't think you're going to find that um, that will be the minimum threshold that results from the discussions in the context of this election. Because it polls well. It does. I mean, nothing polls, literally nothing polls better than cannabis. So you need to, to me, um, I don't care what country's politics you're looking at. If they have a democratic process or they don't want to have the dictator getting thrown out, if the population says they want it and it won't cause a mega problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that as a rational path. Um, I think even things like the idea of exiting Afghanistan and talking about soldiers and the transition of diminishing opioids, there's, there's just a, there's so many change elements that support cannabis and frankly they support some of the stuff we're doing with my med. Well that's what I want to talk to you about next right? yeah. because you're la- you're you're going right into you're wearing a MindMed shirt. Of course I am. Um, we're recording this on March 3rd um, and MindMed just started trading yep. on the Neo today. Yep. Um, before we get into the specifics of MindMed I want to talk to the the structure of markets in general um, and being public or not. Because if you look at the way that the cannabis market has been funded, you saw a lot of American companies who didn't have access to debt financing, who didn't have access to um, other forms of institutional capital, have to go to Canada and list on the CSE and some of them on the NEO exchange to raise capital. And that has put them in part in a difficult position today from their ability to raise capital. 
Um, some of them have been really successful on the CSC and they've co-listed on the OTC. Mm-hmm. Others have just been on the OTC or the CSE, but they can't, you know, now that there's this crunch, um, they're, they're not able to raise the, the additional capital. Um, putting aside what MindMed is doing, do you think that that, that strategy of listing early in the development is the right strategy for the psychedelic community? Well, th- there's a big difference between going public and being public. Very much And the so. people who've had the problem have principally gone public. Okay. Being public is an ongoing, continuous 724 activity set, mm-hmm. which causes people to want to buy and sell your stock. It creates increasing quality of buyers, meaning mm-hmm. institutional as possible. It works up to larger buyers if you can't get the major institutional through family offices. It involves a continuous process of creating demand. That's being public. Yep. And so if you want to go public and not do the being public, you're toast. So MindMed um, is going public today. It has done so. And it will continue to be public, which means it uses the process of being a listed entity to both generate demand and use it for the process of creating, in a kind of correlated way, media interest. So why do I I have a t-shirt on, but you didn't comment that my hair actually looks pretty good and my face. <laughs> and the reason is That's I just... That's per, per I, usual. Well, though. no, I just came from Yahoo Finance. So I co-hosted an hour of Yahoo Finance with Zach. Now, I was on there, and despite the fact that today the Fed's cut uh, by half a base a point, and it's Super Tuesday, um, they still had me on in my T-shirt as co-host to talk about psychedelics and a couple of related cannabis things. And so I think that um, there's a couple of issues with a lot of the people. If you're following everybody, it's hard to stick out. Got to work harder. Mm-hmm. MindMed's not following anybody going to the first public. Second part is um, there's enough people there that understand this is a work project, not a finished project. Right. But pharmaceutical companies don't usually list on a tertiary exchange to raise capital. I mean, MindMed's play is – let's talk about what MindMed's play is, but but it is – the NEO is a tertiary exchange. Oh, it's not a listen, primary Listen, Canada's exchange. a tertiary exchange. Yeah. Like I don't even like – I'm embarrassed to be a Canadian, but premised upon the quality of our exchange. A lot of the times – that should be nice. It's not actually the exchange. It's the absence of uniform rules across the country. Well, because, and also liquidity and well, market you can, cap. Well, you, I mean, you can even get a bunch of that stuff going. The problem still is – like, at least in the U.S., you know, you can have FINRA and the SEC and you have a single soul. Canada, we have a whole bunch by each province. But um, the reason you list there is in part because they'll let you. So you have to be eligible to list and they'll let you. As we move our way up, we'll get somewhere. But the reason we're not the same as a biotech is biotech says, well, went to chemistry, pretty smart. Mm-hmm. I've invented a molecule. Let's figure out what the hell it does. And sometimes it doesn't do anything. Sometimes it kills the mouse. Who knows? Psychedelics, we know they do stuff. What we're trying to do is say, if uh, people listening to this were drawing a, uh, a spreadsheet, down the left-hand column you would list every indication that you think psychedelics could affect. Mm-hmm. And they can affect everything from, like, uh, on an annual basis, do you need a reset just to your mental state, and to um, depression, opioid addiction. So this whole, um, I'll call it the electrical system on you and mm-hmm. your mental state on you. There's a huge list of things they can impact. And across the top of that uh, spreadsheet, you should list every psychedelic currently available or it might be available and say which ones do we think will work for that. And when you do that, the effect is you have a comprehensive work list. And what MindMed is doing is loading on a lot of capital. So we just did $25 million, and I would hope that we can do more soon. Mm-hmm. And we have eight projects around the world that go from, I don't know, pixilocybin to variants or derived variants of ibogaine. And the point of the exercise is to take them through processes and the common instruments of the business are the finance and the process and procedural methods of doing testing. Right. And that way, 
unless we're wrong, at least in the first eight. If all eight are wrong, then we have a very bad business. But if a few are right, the people who put their ideas on our barge, on our vessel, on our ark, they've hedged their risk of being wrong by being with other people who might be right. So is MindMed um, a platform vehicle to invest in multiple different ways yeah. to research? I think that's a way better way of saying that what I just took a long time to say. It is, is intended, I call it an arc, but it's a platform vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the common elements of the platform are that if you're working on something that's been prohibited in many geographies, but we know has an effect on the human uh, state, then we probably want to find a way to harness that. So you guys, I know, are, are doing a lot of work with Iboga or Ibogaine. Yeah. Um, well, a derived variant, the one that doesn't probably knock your heart out. Well, let's, but just to be clear, you know, this is a cannabis podcast. And even though I have a lot of mm -hmm. um, focus and affection for psychedelics, um, this is derived from uh, an African plant yep. found in Gabon. Yep. Um, it is one of the most powerful psychedelics out there. It can be anywhere from a 24 to 36 hour experience or yep. trip um it, it's it's a dreamlike state supposedly i've never done it um but it has a little downside it can also interrupt your cardiac function um yes <laughs> That's yes the not so good part but what it has been done and proven in, yep. in a lot of clinics in mexico to be unbelievably effective at breaking people of an opioid addiction yeah yeah it, it is one of those things that um as people have described it to me it is one of those things that what, when you are addicted to opioids, if you use this in the right dosage and through the right style, mm -hmm. you end up having almost like a toxic view of opioids. You do not want them anymore, which is quite remarkable. But what we're trying to do and is something like 80% effective. Yeah. And now, so, so what the point of MindMed is, how do we find these various conditions that we list on the left-hand column, mm -hmm. map them against the possible use of variants on the top column, and say, which ones are we going to use? And how are they going to work out? And how do we get them? And so in the case of, like, um, we call it 18MC, MC18. 18MC is the derivative of uh, the opioid. And what it's tried to do is take out the cardiac effect. Okay. And the thing, I, and then put it into a less hallucinogenic or non-hallucinogenic state and still see if you can get the opioid weaning. And there's a lot of, I mean, in the psychedelic community, there's a lot of conversation, and it's probably mostly from the historic market participants, the same way that there's a lot of conversation on the cannabis side of the historic market participants, but that you need the hallucination and you need the duration to ha to break you of the, the addiction. I, I don't well, know the answer to that. Well, let's bring it back to your canopy, uh, cannabis pro podcast or cannabis theme. People told me that about so many things, the lights. They have mm -hmm. to go up and down. They have to stay not more than uh, 18 inches off the canopy. Um, you have to oxygenate the water. You don't have to. So there, everybody has their views. What I found was kind of beneficial was to ask the plant. Mm -hmm. And so going back to the cannabis world, when you would tell me as somebody's grown it this way forever and your granddaddy told you to do it that way, we would do an A-B comparison. And then we'd look at the input costs of doing A versus B. And if moving up and down the lights all the time didn't yield a material gain greater than the cost of doing it, then we didn't do it. And so what you do with this stuff is now in the psychedelic space is you have a view that it has to have that. Well, what if we then engineer the plant and the molecule so it has no psychoactive effect but leave many of the other attributes? If it still makes the person not addicted to... That's a huge win. Right. And you know why? Because that means the FDA can govern it because it's no longer a psychedelic. Well, the FDA is already looking at um, MDMA, you know, phase oh, three ketamine, with all these things. Well, yeah. ketamine was a, our ketamine Every, was a Q, yeah. uh, approved. Yeah. Um, psilocybin is in phase two B. I mean, I, I, my personal belief is psychedelics get a, get become more 
um, ubiquitous in society faster than cannabis will because there are these FDA-approved trials. Uh, yeah. Is MindMed going to follow the FDA path? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're a big fan of that. And I think you're right. It's interesting that um, the commonality between cannabinoids and the diverse group of psychedelics is really just that they both suffered really bad governance. Um, but well, it was Richard Nixon who intentionally, you know, I mean, you know the history and the politics as well as anybody. But but they both had really bad governance, and it's been globally uneven, but pretty bad generally. Um, but if you look at the academic interest in psychedelics versus cannabinoids, it's far greater in psychedelics. And there's a lot more uh, deep and thoughtful work in terms of neuropathway and activities. Mm -hmm. So I, I would agree with you about that these things could actually potentially on a therapeutic basis lead what we might see is an approved set of cannabinoids. Now, are they more powerful? For sure. So it seems a little bit unusual that um, they would jump ahead, but I think it's, it bodes well for cannabinoids. And who knows over time? Like I know that in my prior life, there was a study we were doing in British Columbia uh, where people were addicted to opioids and they were looking at how they make off-ramps using traditional uh, dopamine players, but not quite as bad as the ones they're on. And then whether or not they had access to cannabinoids additionally, did that create a more durable or frequent reduction of addiction. It appears in early studies it likely did. And so maybe these uh, groups start to collaborate and they quit being isolated. And I'm not saying you make a, uh, a multi-molecule medicine, I'm saying that they could be two hmm. types of therapeutic application. You look at somebody like Atai, who is um, a parallel to MindMed, and they're looking at multiple different applications and they're doing stuff with big data and they're, you know, um, I'm actually gonna be talking to Florian Brand, who's the CEO of Atai, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, I hope that space doesn't behave like the cannabis space did in the early days, which is to perceive all the regulated players as competitors, because in fact there were no there's no competition really still almost between the regulated players because ninety percent of the market share is already still allocated to the illegal players. Mm -hmm. So your competitor isn't the allocation of the 10%. It's how do you turn the 10% into 100%. Well, I think one of the really interesting things that's a difference between cannabis and um, psychedelics is, you know, cannabis, it's been a conversion market, right? We're going to convert the illicit market into the illicit market. Um, and, and all of the conversion players are for profits. In the psychedelic space, you have this this different strategy where you have the the not for profit companies. There are Maps, which is the yeah, the huge huge, huge and uh, then Usona, which is a company out of the University of, of Wisconsin and Madison. Well, Beckley Foundation and you know the Hefter Foundation, but they are all looking at this from a not for profit. And then you have the for profit players like you guys at yep. MindMed, um, Field Trip Ventures. You've got our friends over at Atai and Compass. Do you, how do you see those two competing um, strategies playing in the sandbox together? Well, um, in a prior life, we did a partnership with Beckley, mm -hmm. right? So I think what you have is um, there are those who enable base frameworks, core research, and then mm -hmm. there are those parties that take these things and frame them into finished goods that people can actually get through a, a doctor's access process. And I don't want to say prescription because they don't always get directly to prescription. Um, so I think that they'll work together and they'll get the job done. And uh, the, the challenge will be if the job getting done turns into a disruption to the big guys, then you get eaten. Um, and so I think this is a sector that has a much more direct drive path to being eaten by a pharmaceutical company than it does in the cannabis space because divisions of cannabis companies make sense as a medical product further and further out. But that same science drives a great beverage. Right, and they're consume. I mean, cannabis is at its core a consumer packaged goods industry. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that um, 
in phase one when you're selling a gram of weed sure it is mm -hmm. um, phase two you have a bit more interesting stuff because it's beverages or uh, cpg phase three when you start reading clinical data uh, saying that a geriatric care environment has better cognitive function if they quit using pharmaceuticals to manage the four primary indications of being old you know diminished mobility anxiety diminished appetite appetite and poor sleeping if you start using the right dosage and the right combination of cannabinoids to manage in that environment that to me starts to sound a lot more like you're taking a big slice of the pie from pharmaceutical and if in phase four of cannabinoids they can actually start to think about curative things if they can start to have the interaction with the stem cells uh, moderate the size and rate of tumor grows mm -hmm. um, that sounds to me kind of not CPG right and, and so I think um, the challenge is the way we framed everything and I, I found Vireo, part of what I liked about them is they didn't like talking about medical or rec. They liked talking about science. Hmm. And when you use science, you could get novel outcomes, and then you figure out which market fits it. The, the political path that cannabis followed in Canada was a uh, constitutional challenge. In the U.S., it's been a state-by-state -state process of you know, converting some states into medical and then eventually adult use, still with the, the federal illegality. It seems like psychedelics are starting to follow that same path. You know, there's a discussion that there's going to be a constitutional challenge well, in Canada. Well, it's even city by city. But in, in, in the U.S., you got cities saying, I want psilocybin to be... Decriminalized. Decriminalized. Right? But this, so like it, it almost in some ways is degrading because decriminalized is kind of like, I don't think that's a good outcome. Because of what's the supply chain on decriminalized stuff? Who's the inspector? How do you know it's the same stuff all the time? Like, I like regulated more but than But you look at Oregon, right? So Oregon has a ballot initiative that's going to be voted on in November to create a structured psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy market. Right. But it's still just for Oregon. And that could piss the, the FDA off. Oh, it, it will. Could piss. So, <laughs> so, you know, my, my concern about what's happening in psychedelics is – we lost 50 years to the war on drugs, yeah. right? Um, and if we as a psychedelic industry, and I'm putting me as yeah. part of that because I represent some companies in this space, don't do this right, we could lose another 50 years. And that's hundreds of millions of people who won't have access to these, these molecules. As you are counseling MindMed, from a political perspective, again, you are, you are unbelievably astute. You did this. What are you talking to, to, to MindMed about from this perspective? Well, so it's kind of MindMed plus others. So in Canada, there was there really were one or two key uh, advocates, lawyers, mm -hmm. um, who took the constitutional challenge. So the way it works in Canada, because it's sort of a, a, a kid of the British Empire, it has this thing called the Charter Rights and Freedoms. And it says that if there's medical benefit any kind of medical benefit that's reasonable mm -hmm. for a product, you can't withhold it from a Canadian citizen. So in 2001, that was the logic that 400-ish people used, and they won the right for federally, because cannabis has been federally legal in Canada since 2001. Mm -hmm. People don't really remember that. I didn't know that. Federally legal. What Trudeau did is he didn't make it federally legal. He simply expanded the basis upon which you could access an already federally legal product. Okay. That's what he did. Um, and so with the data sets that are going to be gathered and are gathered around a variety of psychedelics, I reached out and interacted with some of the original lawyers who 2001 succeeded on the charter rights mm -hmm. and began engaging them to say, as we get our data together, what's it need to look like to win? And when it does, instead of saying, well, I'm using Ibogaine by sending them to someplace in Mexico, which may or may not even have the right stuff, 
people are going to go to Canada to go and get treatments that they may not have access to on a uniform federal basis here. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. It should become uniform in the U.S. to Canada, Canada to the U.S. But you don't have the same, in each country, they don't have the same mechanisms of decision-making. Because there's no politician in Canada in 2001 that wanted that outcome. They did not. But when a court tells you out of this is the way it is, you have to react. So I'm going to now do my anti-Trump rant. He doesn't seem to respect the courts. So given what you know his position is, you know he has the Trump administration's position on cannabis is it's a states' rights issue, right? The way that that the industry, the psychedelic industry, is working in this is not on a state by state basis. They're saying we're going FDA. Um, which is much smarter. It's way more expensive, and it takes a lot longer. But if you get the FDA approval, you now have approval to have it prescribed. Yeah, you know, and, and, have, I, and insurance cover it. It's like everything that you would want. Yeah. And I, you know, um, we have a very unpopular owner of our hockey team in the city, and I reside in. Which and so well, I don't want to pick on them directly, but um, <laughs> a lot of the business people say, well, I'm not going to buy hockey tickets. I'm not going to buy season tickets anymore from that person. And I said, well, I think all things are bigger than one person. And if you look at it, there's been three owners. This guy's the third. The fourth will happen. But if you diminish everything about the team and let it die because you don't support it in the principle of what it's supposed to be for the mm -hmm. town, you've missed the point. And so um, I don't blame Mr. Sessions or Mr. Trump. There is always another president and there's always another person to run it. What I think we have to have is a bit more of a clear voice on what is the point of what it means to actually support people's health. And I don't like talking about the ingredients. I like talking about the outcomes. And so I think if we quit having always a discussion and a fight about ingredients and talked about mm -hmm. the fact that Ritalin is a 35-year-old drug that may or may not actually be the most effective way for people with ADHD and other focus activities and that uh, if you have cluster headaches, you can't work. And that the medications that they have currently aren't that effective, then let's talk about whether or not there are. And so if you could just keep running down the list of these are current ills that aren't satisfied with any available products, would we like to try and fix them or do we want those people to suffer? And so I think I don't want to, I don't like getting in the circular small political debates. I would sooner talk about the potential for the value to the people. And, and look, I think... One of the good things that Michael Pollan did in his book, How to Change Your Mind, was he brought the 50 years of research that was done at Johns Hopkins, at NYU, at Imperial College in London, and made it not only available, but accessible, right. understandable to a mass audience. Right. You did the same thing in cannabis, right? I mean, you, you were the... The, the the spokesperson for not only the Canadian cannabis industry, but writ large. I mean, you were the spokesperson. I, I don't feel that I um, operate in a Canadian context. I don't, I'm don't. i probably one of the worst Canadians you'll meet because, uh, while I'm not You're a braggart. You're one of my favorite Canadians. But I'm so. not particularly falsely humble, and I, I don't try to fake that I'm super polite. And I think Canada's a good place to be from when you're in business. So start there. But so, but on the I, psychedelic side, well, who is the spokesperson? No, is it I, you? I, is it Rick Doblin from Maps? I mean, I who think, should be that person? Well, I think you're going to have um, this one has to have three types of spokespersons. One has to have a scientist who makes it accessible. And mm -hmm. you've talked about a good example. We have several scientists working in the field who actually can make it so that a seven year old grandma who thinks she hates them by the end of a one minute interview will have to scratch her head and say, maybe I don't. Yeah, like a Roland Griffiths at, at Johns Hopkins or Robert, Robin Carhart-Harris at, at in London. And then it needs a second spokesperson who represents the capital markets and the way that this actually is something you need to support because if you leave the money out, uh, you, mm -hmm. need a, you have a new problem. 
And then the third one that has to be there is someone who comes from, and it'll be multiple categories, of people who have had only access to the stuff that didn't work or had side effects they couldn't tolerate. And so it's the voice of the patient. And the reason I come to that one third uh, isn't priority, but um, in my mind's eye, the reason cannabis changed in so many countries is that people who ran the countries would fight with sick children in the media, and then they would lose and be surprised they lost. And Exhibit A would probably be someplace like Canada, England, a variety of circumstances where children with specific issues that can be moderated mm -hmm. were not allowed access. And in a place like England still now, it's like, what is it, five or seven times more costly to buy legal cannabis than illegal cannabis because they don't really want it in. But fighting with sick patients is the worst way to get reelected and to win a, a fight. So I think those three cohorts will each step forward at the right times. If you were standing in front of um, all of the CEOs of the the... the the psychedelic companies out there, um, and you could take five minutes and say, okay, here's every mistake that we made in cannabis, and here's how you must avoid them. Could you pick out a couple of mistakes that the cannabis industry made that you really don't want the psychedelic industry to repeat? Well, you have no clue on guidance, so don't give it. If markets are forming and products are being invented, how can you possibly have a two-variable equation of that size and give guidance? So don't do it. Second one is, uh, press releases are to be issued when a task is complete, not prior to a task being completed, because that is how you rip off shareholders for uncompleted tasks. Mm -hmm. Maybe the third thing is that um, accountants matter. We're in a distrusted environment. Trust is important. So let be sure that your books are ske squeaky clean, that your MD&A is accurate, and that everything you file is on time. Because at the end of the day, people are looking for basis upon which credibility can be eroded. And it's those sorts of things that are... They're nothing to do with psychedelics. They're, done, they're to do with ethical, properly governed businesses. And let your scientists take their time, do what they got to do, and do it. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm good, man. I think right. I, I got, well, let's wrap on the thing, yeah. though. Like, I want to compliment your business because um, the reason I came here is because you've always come to where I am. And so it didn't matter if it was at Tiger 21 sitting out um, on a relatively higher chair in the sun trying to do an interview. Uh, I think we did one in... We did one at MJ Biz three years ago. Three years ago. And and so I had this impression that you were a participant in the sector who showed up and was pretty dutiful. I had no clue that you actually had a professional organization of its depth and size. And so I had some good conversations in the front. So congrats on that because... Thank you. A lot of people will say, well, I, I think I was going to do that too. And the reality is it takes a lot of doing to do it. Well, we got into this business in 2014 uh, when New York State was going through its legalization and we were hired by an applicant for a New York State license. And literally, I learned the business from soup to nuts. And I turned to my business partners and said, guys, we're never going to have Merck. We're never going to have Bank of America. But we can really establish ourselves in this space. And I said the same thing to them last year in terms of psychedelics, saying, yeah. look, cannabis is getting crowded. We're still a brand, but nobody is doing what we're doing in psychedelics. And this is a trillion-dollar market. Yeah. Well, um, and it's also it's interesting to work on. It's the most. These are the two most interesting, soul-filling things I've ever done in my entire career. Yeah. Not bad when you can be uh, in New York filling your soul. Yeah. Anyhow, thanks for your time. Bruce, thank you so much. I appreciate it. A special thanks to Bruce Linton from MindMed. You can find him on his personal website, brucelinton.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-L-I-N-T-O-N.com. As always, you can interact with us on Twitter and Instagram or via email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Um, 
I just want to make sure that you guys know how much Anne and Shay and Nick and I appreciate you listening to us every week. It takes a lot of time, energy, and passion to do these podcasts. And knowing that you're out there actually giving us your time is something that I truly and deeply appreciate. Thank you. That's one take, Shay. One take. <laughs>